Welcome to the February Favorites File. It is hard to believe that by the time this episode airs, it will be February 29th. Wow, 2020 is really flying by. In this episode, I'm going to talk about statistics. I know, friends that know me, yes, I'm talking about statistics. Crazy. The Royal Brand Dilemma. And a few things about what I've been reading and listening to this month. I hope you'll enjoy. Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. Let's talk about statistics. Yeah, if you know me, you know that is like the furthest thing ever for me to want to talk about because I'm just, I'm not very mathematically inclined. Basic stuff, you bet I can do it. Get me into statistics and no thanks. But this week I listened to Seth Godin's podcast, which I don't listen to him as often as what I should. You know, he is definitely one of the foremost authorities in marketing today. And his podcast is great. It's short. It's full of great information. And, you know, he's really on target with what he's saying. This week I did listen to one and it was called Sample Size. And he is, in fact, talking about statistics. And I found it really fascinating. And I would encourage you to listen to it because I am certainly not going to try and give a good recap because I won't do it well. I just know that. The thing that he said about statistics that I really appreciated was statistics allows us to see the past, understand the present, and predict the future. We kind of want to know how to do that, right? I think so. So maybe I need to give statistics a little bit more attention. Now that's not to say I'm going to go out and find a statistics class and take, but he goes on to talk about that correlation, you know, the cause and effect that happens is oftentimes a false assumption. And it's false because maybe it's taking into account too small of a sample size or it's too disparate of pieces of information that you're trying to compare but it was it was just kind of a fascinating listen the quote from the from the episode that really stood out to me is this one we cannot make good decisions going forward when it is solely based on data now what did he mean by that the example that he that he presented leading up to making that statement was about two engineers that were working during World War II, they were, they were looking for ways to improve a system. And that system was how do we take care and ensure that we have more planes coming back from a mission than what we're losing. Several of the engineers suggested that, that we should be putting shielding over the spots where they were getting hit. So they were looking at where the bullet holes were and saying, we need to cover those spots up because as we cover them up, that means that more planes will come back. Abraham Wald suggested that the shielding should go in the places that the bullet holes weren't because that's probably where the planes that weren't coming back were being shot. And it was, in effect, 
protecting the engine and allowing and causing those that were hit there to go down, whereas the ones that were coming back were not being hit in the engine and therefore were able to make it back to the base. Now, if they had made that decision solely on data, they would have went with the majority of the engineers who wanted to cover cover the spots where they were getting hit. He used other information in order to be able to come to that conclusion. Another example that that Seth includes in his discussion about about statistics comes from the music industry. And I didn't jot down the name of of the person who has this newsletter that they send out, but it, it goes to the music industry leaders. Those folks who are in the industry and tend to be looked at for their ability to pick who's going to be the next big thing. He wrote about how there was a young Australian musician. She was getting hits, number one hits all over the world. But she was not getting any number one hits here in the United States yet. So he wrote about this. He included her in this newsletter he sent out. And as his readers started commenting back, and I'm assuming it must have meant that he had a link to some of her music in there. As his readers started sharing comments back, they were all negative. They were like, nope, this person's never going to go anywhere. She'll never have a hit in the United States. We don't like her. Hope that that genre of music goes away. Just on and on and on. However, it turns out they were all wrong. This person, Tones and I, now has a number one hit in the United States. They were relying on data. They were relying on what has historically happened over and over and over again. Those industry experts just have the guts and the confidence to double down on the things that they know that work. And continue to double down and double down and double down is what Seth said. They just continued using the historical knowledge that they have and assume that it's going to work the same way. There's a false correlation going on there. There are so many factors that come into play when it comes to making decisions that yes, you can find some correlations, but that does not mean that everything is universally the same. Factors are going to change. Influences will change. The environment will change. People's perceptions and opinions will change. And all these things are going to factor into the decision that is made. Therefore, making a decision that is solely based on data much more difficult. Now, trust me, I know I worked in healthcare long enough and with enough scientists that there are times when those correlations and those statistics You do need to make decisions based on data. I totally get that. So I don't want people coming back after me saying, absolutely true, you can make decisions, good decisions based solely off of data. I get it. There are times and places where that's going to work. I just thought this was a really fascinating perspective on an industry marketing that is becoming more and more and more data driven and how in this instance... We need to recognize there are times when our decisions cannot solely be rooted in data. So unless you've been living under a rock, you've heard a lot of discussion about Harry and Meghan leaving their royal duties, wanting to live a more, wanting to live their life outside the spotlight that comes along with being part of the British royal family. And I have to say, who can blame them? I totally get it. The thing that has really gotten my attention with this, because in all honesty, I was getting a little tired of hearing about it over the last several weeks and months since they announced that they were going to do this, 
But what drew me back into this or into paying attention to this is the discussion about the use of the word royal and Meghan and Harry's brand. There's a part of me that thinks, wow, did they really think that they were going to be able to continue to call themselves royal and take advantage of the privilege that comes along with that when they themselves have said they want to be out of that? Why would they think that they could continue to use the brand associated with the royal family? Then, of course, there's a side of me that thinks, okay, well, guess what? They're not as close to this idea as what you are, Amy. And so maybe they didn't really think about the fact that being part of the royal family and being in that sphere of things is a brand, a brand that needs to be protected. So therefore, continuing to refer to themselves as royal might signal a problem. So in my newsletter that I sent out over the weekend with with last week's podcast information, I attached an article from the Washington Post about this very idea. And in reading it, I found it really interesting because the royal family has on their website a document called Guidance on the Use of Royal Arms, Names, and Images. Guess what that is? That's their brand book. That's their brand guidelines. That's the thing that every big business, every business in general, really, should have about how is my name used? How's our brand name used? How big or small can our logos be? Who are we and who are we not? Yes, I want to be associated with this type of of organization. No, we don't want to be associated with that. All of the details, everything that goes into understanding a business as a brand and how they will be portrayed goes into this brand book or into a brand standards manual, whatever you internally choose to refer to it as. Guess what? The royal family has one. That's smart. And in that book or that document, because they don't call it a book, they call it a document, it prohibits companies and limited liability partnerships from being quote, registered under a name which includes any of the sensitive words, including royal, queen, king, prince, or princess, unless approved by the Secretary of State. Right there, this should not be a surprise that Sussex Royal cannot be a brand name that's used. I do think it's really unfortunate that Harry and Meghan have gone to, you know, they they rolled out an Instagram account called Sussex Royal, and they quickly became the fastest growing Instagram account for followers ever. Guess what? It's Sussex Royal. That name is going to have to be changed. I believe I heard they were, they rolled out a website as well and bought a domain. Now that domain needs to be changed. They started going down a path of creating a brand for Sussex Royal, and now they have to change it all. This is about protecting the brand of the royal family. It's not anything against Meghan and Harry personally. I certainly think there is no ill will. Of course, I'm so far removed from it that I don't know, maybe there is, but I can't imagine that there's any ill will driving why they're being told that they cannot use this other than Anyone else not associated with the royal family would not be able to use this name either. 
They've now said they want to step away from that and relinquish their royal duties. So therefore, they shouldn't use the name or the implied connection to the royal family any longer as well. Now, this Washington Post article also does a nice job of they interview a trademark lawyer. His name is Lee Curtis. And he said, you know, that the intent of something like this, like this kind of clause or this this uh, protection in their brand standards is to prevent non-royals from registering royal brands on certain goods and services. He also goes on to say that really this would be, it wouldn't be the Secretary of State making this decision due to the nature of what it is it was likely made by the Queen. So what do I want you to take away from this in terms of like why has it been so interesting to me? I think what, what it does for me is it shows that we have to be very careful and very intentional and very consistent in what we align our brands with. So I encourage you to think about that. The next time that you're faced with an opportunity to put your brand name onto something that is not part of your brand or part of your business, do they meet the same values that you have? Is it a smart alignment? Is it a win-win for both of you? Is there something negative that could be dug up that could somehow bring the reputation of your brand down as a result of your association? If there is, think long and hard about whether or not you want to put your name next to or on something that's affiliated with this other brand. In my newsletter, the example that I provided that I felt was probably the most well-known, understood, comparable example that I could share is when a celebrity or an athlete signs an endorsement deal with a major brand. On both sides of that decision, they need to be doing their due diligence and really looking at whether or not the other one is a reputable brand that they want to be associated with. And when it comes time to cease that relationship and walk away, they're no longer able to use the likeness of the brand anymore. It would be like Michael Jordan and Nike. When, if Michael Jordan and Nike decide to part ways, Nike has the rights to continue to use Jordan's likeness for the items that he, that are branded with him and that were produced during the time frame that he was involved with the organization or with Nike. But anything new going forward, they can't put Michael Jordan's name on it, just like Michael Jordan can't put Nike's name on it. NASCAR is another really great example. You know, those cars go flying around the tracks with, I can't even tell you how many logos emblazoned onto those cars. When they change sponsorship deals, they don't keep that sponsorship you know, the previous sponsorship listed on the car, they take it off and the new one goes on. So I guess in my opinion, the queen made the right decision. Harry and Meghan want to be their own people, have their own lives, create their own wealth. Therefore, they need to create their own brand and not piggyback off of the brand that they're leaving. Hi, I'm Amy Austin. I help purpose-driven organizations like yours 
turn marketing from a sunk cost into a strategic investment so they make a bigger difference. The truth is incomplete marketing costs much more than money. It might be pretty and you might even think it's cool, but move forward without the strategy and odds are you're going to regret the spend. Conversely, when you uncover your purpose, when you understand your audience and their motivations, when you know the reasons behind your own efforts, all that money you spent to get the word out results in, you guessed it, results. For clarity in what you stand for, for confidence in your marketing, for having a better understanding of what's important about your brand and what will make the biggest difference for those you serve, I invite you to schedule a complimentary session with me. Let's dive deep into your purpose and begin to create a marketing strategy that helps the people that matter most, those you serve. To schedule your complimentary session, please send me an email at amy at amyaustinmarketing.com or fill out the contact form on my website at www.amyaustinmarketing.com. I look forward to hearing from you. February has been kind of a crazy month and I feel like feel like I've done a lot of research and reading and and listening this month and amongst a lot of running. I guess because it's a short month, maybe that's why I feel that way. I don't know. So instead of doing a third section where I kind of give an overview of something I've read or something I've listened to, I just decided I'd give you kind of an overview of the things that I have listened to and what I'm reading this month. And I'll link everything in the show notes. So the books that I'm reading right now on my Kindle, two of these are ones that I'm getting ready to start, um, and two of them are ones that I am in the process of reading. The ones I'm in the process of reading right now is The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. I'm not quite finished with it, and I'm going to be finished before I go and listen to him in Chicago on the 13th of March. It's a great book. It certainly is enlightening as it relates to thinking about the differences between having a finite and an infinite mindset. I catch myself thinking, okay, stop, Amy. That's being a bit too finite. That's being too, there's an end game here. What is it? Or are we being truly visionary and looking at just how can we be continually improving with no end in sight? The other book that I'm reading is one that I tend to reread at least once or twice a year, and that is The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. I know it's not her first book, but it's the first in a series of books that just kind of continue to build upon the theories presented in the previous book. And it really outlines her views and the research that she's done around shame and how we respond to shame. For me, it was especially helpful during the time frame eight years ago when my dad was sick and when he subsequently passed away and all of the challenges that I was dealing with at work. My emotional state was a mess during that time frame and so it was a very challenging time. And my therapist actually recommended that I read this book. Since then, like I said, I think I've reread it at least once a year 
as well as I completed her online course that had a companion art journaling project that went along with it. And I find myself referring back to those, those notes a lot as well. So it's a great book. Highly encourage reading it. The other two that are on my list to start reading soon is The Three-Minute Rule by Brant Pinvidic, I think is how you pronounce his last name. It's P-I-N-V-I-D-I-C. The subtitle to that book is Say Less to Get More from Any Pitch or Presentation. I think that this is probably going to be a nice addition or a, and a nice compliment to the conversation that I had with Zach Messler about the killer message. So I'm really fascinated to see how how they overlap or don't. Maybe they won't. I think maybe they do. But So I'll come back and tell you about that when I'm finished with it. And the other one that I have on my Kindle right now that I'm getting ready to read is a book by Daniel Pink called When, The Scientific Secrets of Perfect Timing. So those are the things I'm working on reading. Some of the the key podcasts that I've listened to over the last month outside of the Akimbo episode called Sample Size that I talked about earlier with Seth Godin is an episode of the Entree Leadership Podcast, and it's called Why Are You a Leader? And it's an interview with Patrick Lencioni about his new book called Motive. And I'm really fascinated with what I heard on that because what it really boils down to is as a leader, we need to understand why we want to be a leader. And if we don't know why, maybe we shouldn't be. I think it really aligns very well with understanding our purpose and our intention. If we don't do the things that leaders are, that we expect leaders to do, if we aren't doing those things, how can we expect others to do them as well? Another one I would really recommend that you listen to is an interview with David Meerman Scott about his book, Fanocracy, on the Marketing Book Podcast. And that is a book he actually wrote with his daughter. And as I recall from the interview, they approached writing the book with one of them wrote one chapter, one of them wrote the next chapter. And so it's written in, they take a different approach, I guess. The concept of the book is how can you build fans for your brand? Again, a very nice correlation and connection back to Joey Coleman's book, Never Lose a Customer Again. I found myself thinking a lot about the concepts that Joey shares in the in his book and what it is that... David Meerman Scott talks about in Fanocracy. The next couple are from Nick Westergaard's podcast called On Brand. First one is Creating a Conversational Brand with Nick Usborne. The biggest thing that I remember from this particular interview is write with simple words. Nick Usborne talked about how one time he wrote a 500-word blog post using only one-syllable words. Maybe it was one or two syllable because as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, how could we do that? But his point is that if you want to keep them reading, it needs to be something that is easy to read. And when you put in too complex words or big words or industry jargon, that's when we start to lose our readers. They start to lose interest. So I thought that was a great piece of advice. 
going along that line, I, I did do a professional development webinar with the folks from StoryBrand in preparation for a new book that they have coming out, which sure, I probably will talk about that when it comes out too, because I pre-ordered the book. But they talked about copywriting and similar to what Nick Usborn said of using simple words. They said, you know, when you, you should write your copy to be punchy. And by punchy, they meant that it's easy to read. It's one and two syllable words. And that in order to test that, read your copy back aloud. If you stumble over what you've written when you are reading it aloud, then you need to edit. The other one from the On Brand podcast that I listened to this month is called Why All Brands Need a Brand Book with Mona Bajor. And her last name is spelled B-I-J-O-O-R. So I may have not pronounced that correctly. Just from the title of it, I'm sure you know why I liked that one. Why do you need a brand book? In a previous section of this podcast, I talked about a brand book as it relates to the royal family. You need a brand book. I'm not going to go through all the reasons why you need it again because I've done that already, but you need one. Think about one. And if you need help with one, hey, I'm, I'm somebody who can help you out with that. And I'd be happy to do that. And the last one that I want to share is... I didn't intentionally start listening to this one. It just was one that came up on autoplay as I was driving to an event earlier in this month. And it was an interview with Michelle Obama on Oprah's Super Soul Conversations podcast. And it's part of Oprah's Your Life in Focus series. It was really good. They talked a lot about what it's like to not be in the White House any longer. They talked about her book, Becoming about the journal that she's come out with now. Just, it was a really great interview. If you have any interest in just knowing more about the former first lady, I'd highly encourage you to listen to it. Just a fun fact about, about me, I went through a phase several years ago, gosh, several, over 10 years ago when I was still driving, had a pretty lengthy commute um, to my job at the hospital. I had started listening to audiobooks and I started checking out audiobooks that were the biographies or autobiographies of first ladies. And it was really fascinating to hear the behind the scenes of what of what they did while they were in the White House, what their responsibilities were, what their social cause was, you know, what initiatives they felt were really important and that they tried to to move forward during their time in the White House. It's really interesting. I listened to a couple on Jackie Onassis. I listened to one on Lady Bird Johnson. I feel like there was one other one, but it was primarily those two. Lady Bird Johnson is interesting. It was a really great one. I really, really enjoyed that. Just a quick overview of things that I'm reading and that I'm listening to. If you have a book or a podcast that you think I should listen to, I would love to hear from you. Comment on my Facebook page or send me a message at amy at amyaustinmarketing.com and let me know what it is and I will add it to my ever-growing list. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. 
Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.